This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. Welcome to our next episode. Neither John nor myself are qualified about which to talk about video games. It's the worst grammar you've probably ever used on this podcast. Literally? Is it literally the worst grammar I have ever on this podcast used? Yes, you may say. It it may literally be that. Wow. I got you to say literally. Jinx, personal jinx, buy me a Coke. <laughs> I played video games this week. Yeah? Yeah. What did you play? Because that's kind of what we're here to talk about. Is that what we're here to talk about on Unqualified, a video game podcast where two guys who know nothing about video games talk about video games? Well, we don't know nothing about video games. We know something. We know we like to play them. We're not like Conan O'Brien. Have you have you seen <laughs> certainly not? Have you seen his stuff? No. Conan O'Brien does a some segment on the show where he reviews video games because he's so good at them. Because he doesn't know anything about video games. Oh, that's the well, that's whole prob- that's the whole shtick. He just basically there's a very there's a pretty funny one he did on Tomb Raider. I'll send you a link. I'll tweet it at you. I'll tweet it at Eat Play Game because that's your handle. It'll that is my it'll yeah. Watch out for it. It'll come from produ- at producer Cody, which is my that's your handle. Hand. Yeah, it's you know so, but uh, yeah, Conan O'Brien has this new bit he does where yeah he reviews a video game. It's rather humorous. Check it out. But we actually play video games for fun. We do, and then we review them for fun well we don't necessarily review we just talk about them we do we talk about video games we do that's what we do so if you haven't figured that out by now then why are you listening yeah that i can agree with serious so anyways isn't a word (laughs) hey you're a game of thrones fan right i am a game of thrones fan what house would you say you belong to or or who to whom would you swear your fealty uh hufflepuff that's that's not did i do it wrong yes that's wow i think one i think our listener just totally nerd raged and just like lurched his or her laptop off the desk and just why are you using a laptop on a desk i guess is you know i would probably be a stark to be honest really i would because i i'm I I would consider myself loyal to a fault. So, yes, I would say I would be a Stark. You're the worst. What would you consider me to be? Mm, one of the Summer Islanders. <laughs> what? Why? They like to have sex. That's true. I would have said Lannister, personally. Uh-huh. Oh, you mean the houses, right. I yeah. Still say, I still say Summer Islander. All right. Well, that's fair. Well... In any event, uh, there is a game in which you can actually choose uh, which house you would like to swear fealty to. And what game is this? And you're going to be shocked is it, by is this. Is it a Game of Thrones? It is a game. Well, it's it's Game of Thrones ascent, not not a smell, but like ascent, like climbing. It's okay. Game of Thrones ascent, and uh, this is 
very likely, I don't know how likely, but but somewhat likely at least, to be the only time we review a Facebook game on the podcast. So this game is on Facebook? It's a Facebook game, yes. That is surprising. Uh, it's surprising that it's good, because we've talked about games that are cash-ins before. That's such, true. Such as Final Fantasy Airborne Brigade. Yep. Right? So, yeah, yeah, it's horrible. So, and now that I've played Game of Thrones Ascent... And I've also played Farmville a little bit, and I've played Tiny Tower, and I've played some basically free-to-play games. I've been around the block with free-to-play, right? Right. Uh, the Game of Thrones Ascent game does it absolutely right, um, just keeping in mind that they're currently in beta, so not everything is exactly right, but but what they're doing is, is clearly on the right track. So, uh, as we've discussed in earlier podcasts... Pretty much every free-to-play game has the same business model, right? You have a certain amount of things you can do for free, and then those things will recharge in 2 hours or 24 hours, or cultivate in, in 24 hours, or, uh, you know, you get more money in 24 hours, or you can pay real-world money to speed things along. Now, that is, I mean, that is the probably the most common, it's not the only, but that is certainly the most common common uh way that free-to-play games work the other way free-to-play games work are the way that a game like league of legends does it which is a free-to-play game where uh all of the money that they generate are through cosmetic purchases uh and that that works and for certain games it works very well so um no there is a there is another model it's just you have to have a good game in order to make that model work right and that's where some of that's where the majority of these other ones break down. Yes, and the other problem with the other ones is sometimes they just kind of phone it in. You know, like Final Fantasy Airborne Brigade, great, it's mobile, but there's no music. <laughs> there's no gameplay. You, There are no characters. You're pretty much just warrior or whatever class, and it's bad. I've reviewed it before. Go back and listen if you want to hear the recap. Um, the Game of Thrones Ascent game... I have no idea if you'll like this at all if you're not a fan of Game of Thrones. So if you're not a fan of Game of Thrones, then just skip forward in this podcast to hear me finish my Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword review. Um, But as a Game of Thrones fan, which is, I think, really the only way you can approach this game, uh, it is an absolute delight to play. Uh, you play as a a lord or or lordess. What's a female lord? I don't even... Whatever. You play as a, a sir or, or lady or whatever. Um, and you can pick your backstory from a, a, a select like four or five different backstories. Like you can be a former mercenary or you can be a rags to riches like Peter Baelish where you kind of started as, as not really a name but kind of made a name for your, your house and, and everything and raised up the ranks of the, the social hierarchy and things like that. Um, you can be, you know... Uh, the the heir of another noble so there's a couple different backgrounds you can kind of give your character not largely significant to the gameplay really at all but it's there okay. and you can and you can swear fealty to one of uh five houses uh you can swear fealty to uh the starks lannisters baratheons greyjoys or targaryens why anybody would ever swear to greyjoys i'm not sure uh and of course you can pick your own name and there are many very uh flavorful names that people have been choosing uh our friend will is playing as somebody craven's bane 
It's his last name. That's pretty good because he's no craven. Uh, and uh, and then once you're in, you are given chapters, kind of like a story, and uh, it will have like a dialogue box basically pops up, and it's let's say the maester of your or meister, how you pronounce it, the the priest guy of your house uh, giving you advice on some things. And he's asking you, you know, what would you like to do? And it gives you some options of what to do. Uh, there are six different um, persuasions you can take with your character. And three of them are polar opposites of the other three. So based on the choices that you make, it's going to push you into one direction or the other. Uh, like two of the pol polar opposites are family or realm. So when you make a decision, are you like if there's a dire wolf on the loose, let's say, then are you going to make a decision because you want to protect your family or are you going to make a decision because you want to protect the realm, protect the crown, uh, you know, swear allegiance to whomever is the king at that point in time. Uh, another polar opposite is uh, cunning versus truthful. Uh, and of course, I shied away from truthful because we all know how that goes in George R. R. Martin's universe. Uh, so you can, but you can make decisions based on, you know, um, let's say uh, you have some allies. There's a, a house that's allied with you, and they have some, you know, we confiscate some weapons from peasants. Well, would you like to report those to your allies and say, like, hey, we found these weapons, here you go? Or do you kind of discreetly tuck them away and they just kind of appear in your stores? Um, and then you have them. That's cunning versus uh, truthful, obviously. And then there's also new ways versus old ways. So religion has an impact. Uh, the old gods are quite wrathful, apparently. So if you choose to uh, be a little less forgiving of people that cross you, you can go ahead and do that, or you can be more of a new ways kind of person. Uh, there are also decisions made based on, uh, like, some characters may want to be buried in a sept versus near a god's wood, uh, and that kind of affects that as well. Now, the, now the the gameplay that we're right now we're just talking about ro kind of rolling up your character. Yeah. Or this is okay. Well, this, well, here's the thing. Those uh, traits are shaped throughout the course of the game. Uh, I would, I would. Uh, Compare the gameplay in this to a text-based role-playing game to a degree. Okay. That's really oversimplifying. It's not text-based, but um, there is no... As it's a Facebook game, there is no gameplay. You're not running and jumping anywhere. You're not having a top-down real-time strategy. It's really kind of playing out chapters of a book. But where this game shines is that it does it so exceptionally well... And that the stories interweave with the stories of the the Song of Ice and Fire series absolutely seamlessly. Uh, so to me, my takeaway from this game and the enjoyment in it is that I feel like I am playing a character in Westeros during the course of the events in, in these books and shaping the way that that person interacts and impacts that whole world um in terms of a role-playing experience i like to give you an example mass effect right so mass effect is basically i mean it's good the gameplay is good uh one of the best games ever but the real thing that set mass effect apart from all of its all other sci-fi shooters and first-person shooters and, and all that stuff in the first place was the ability to make decisions right 
Right. And those decisions influence the story, uh, and you know you were able to shape your character. Well, that was what they that was what they originally pitched, and then they kind of <laughs> gave the big middle finger to everybody with the final ending of the game. But yes, that was the original pitch: was you were shaping your own story. Right. Um, and similar to that progression, actually, is the idea here that, yes, you're able to obviously shape your house and your allies and things like that, but to a degree, you can't affect certain things that need to happen, you know, uh, like a certain member of the Stark household being executed for something. Like, you can't prevent that from happening in this game. But so it does follow. I mean, it starts from the start of the books. Yes, it starts from the start of the books. Now, that's interesting to me, because I would think when I originally heard of this, I thought this was like side stories to stuff going on. And they are side stories. So here's here's the way that I would describe it. Um, If you've read the the Song of Ice and Fire books, uh, Game of Thrones, right? You read it from the perspectives of different characters right you read it from uh you know from bran and john and uh uh the mom what the hell is her name caitlin who sucks uh you know caitlin and um uh uh, Tyrion, and you know like you read it from the point of view of certain characters what i would say is happening in this game is you're giving control of your own character who is in this world at the same time and you're writing their chapters of the story that run parallel with the books in the series and in addition once you progress a bit further uh because obviously there there are several different locations where events are happening in this series simultaneously you know in the first book you have you start at winterfell but then you have some people down at king's landing and you also have people at the wall and you also have Daenerys over in the the outer islands, you know, outer in the whatever, you know, away, away from Westeros, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got those points of view. Well, yes, your character starts with, you know, your territory and your castle, wherever it is, and, and you're in a certain place. But then you reunite with your cousin. Oh, hello, cousin. Uh, nice to see you, you know. Oh, wait, you know what? We've got some business for you in King's Landing. Why don't you go help out with that? Okay, great. So now some of the stories are taking place in your citadel, kind of, and the other stories are taking place with your cousin. So you're actually controlling a couple different characters. And then I was just recently introduced to what I believe is going to be a third character who hangs out at the wall, who's going to be up at at the wall in the north. So that's pretty cool. Um, But the way these are written is – I'll give you a very specific example – is the way that it ties in. You end up being a fly on the wall in a lot of these situations, like when uh, in in the first book when the guards seize Ned Stark in the throne room and you know all that transpires. Just when they seize him, you know, and they maybe kill a couple of his men. Uh, when that happens, your cousin is in that room, and you're able to decide whether well. I have my fealty pledge to the Lannisters, so this may be just because of that. But my options included, you know, do I protect the king? Do I, you know, throw myself in front of Joffrey to try and protect the realm? Do I try and distract Ned Stark by yelling things to be, you know, and be cunning? Uh, or and there's always a third option. There's always two, mostly three options to do something else. So, of course, the end result is still he gets captured. 
but you're able to shape the way that your character and um and in that sense I, this game is is role playing in the most traditional sense of the word you are playing the role of a character uh and there there are gameplay elements I'll get to in a second but the the beauty for me in this game is in the fact that you're actually playing a character and some of the actions you take do have consequences uh for example my character has a daughter and she ran away and she came back and she was being annoying um but she hurt her hand so i had my maester tend to her wounds which were you know bad or whatever and then she was fine and then we went on our merry way and she's still in the storyline sometimes well uh <laughs> i know someone else uh grace actually who thought that her daughter was just being a stupid bitch and she was like yeah she came back with her hand hurt and i was like no that's stupid i'm locking you in your chambers until you decide to calm down well while locked in her chambers her wounds festered and she lost her hand so her daughter has no hands now uh mine does but both your daughters had the same experience happen yeah i mean to a degree obviously within the constructs of a game like this you have to have certain events still happen but sure i guess if it's a completely text-based kind of right but it is pretty flexible uh, it is it, it does seem to actually have consequences um and there do seem to be different stories uh you know slightly written for different people like i actually pissed off one of the houses that's one of my allies and they attacked my, uh, you know, my my citadel, which the game stacked the stats, and I'll get into actual gameplay stats in a second. They stacked the stats against me, so it was virtually impossible for me to win. So I'm pretty sure I role-played myself into a corner, whereas other people playing the game may have done more to appease that lord or be more honest with that lord and not be attacked by him. Um, so... The, but it makes you feel like you're in Westeros. It makes you feel like I'm a lord. I have counsel in Westeros. All the stories are presented to you by characters that you meet and cultivate relationships with coming to you. And they became kind of like your small counsel. You have a maester. You have a septa. You have a, a sir who is your, your captain of the guard. Um, and you have one or two other characters that will come to you and say, you know, and say something to you. So you've got your own little council, and uh, and that's fantastic. Um, for uh, so so for the gameplay, um, your character has stats that kind of influence overall your ability, your your strength in certain areas. There's basically attack, intrigue, and trade are the three abilities. So attack or whatever it's called. There's basically physical fighting power, you know, swords and things like that. Trade is your ability to barter or swindle or bribe people. And then intrigue is the icon for intrigue is a spider. So it's very eunuch Varus kind of stuff. Uh, right. That's where you're stealing or spying or uh, things like that. Um, most of these missions are, are, are text, you know, it's, it's here's what is being said sometimes by characters like you talk to jamie lannister you talk i actually had a conversation with uh uh cersei um while they're can while ned and uh king robert are meeting in king robert's bedroom during a very pivotal scene in the first book cersei's outside and you basically bump into cersei as she's waiting for the results of robert's health 
uh, and have a quick conversation f with her, you know? So it's, you're really right there. It's, it's not just you're hearing about stuff. Like, you're, you're talking to Bran Stark. You're talking to Cersei. And it's just fly-on-the-wall little pass-by conversations that you, that you didn't see in the actual books. But you're able to shape what happened outside these rooms. That sounds very cool. Is this is this were these written by George R. R. Martin? I don't know, but stylistically, they're incredibly well done. Um, I will I will read to you. Ver so they feel close. They feel very close. I will I will read to you verbatim one that I pulled up recently. Uh, you're with Bran Stark, and he just found out that Rob is planning on leaving. And I chose to ask Bran how he plans to rule Winterfell in his brother's presence. And it says, Bran grimaces and eyes the crowd of rowdy men four times his size. I'll do everything I can to protect my people with Master Maester Lewin's help, he says. And then one of my options is to express my faith that Bran will lead Winterfell into a time of new prosperity. Or I can ask him a couple other questions. And then he'll give a response. Uh, that's not the best example, but they do things. The, the language is very George R. R. Martin. Sure. I believe he was heavily involved with the development of this game. Um, I'm not sure how much was, was outright written by him, but it feels like the books. It really feels it, – it does an, an outstanding job of feeling like you're right there in the books. So that's all written. Um, now, while most of these, like I mentioned, are, are Mass Effect kind of you know, base, you just kind of pick which uh, path – you know, which answer you want to choose for certain things – at some points, uh, generally within every every chapter, um, the game is divided into like a prologue with a few chapters, and then volume one with several chapters, volume two with several chapters, and they mirror the books. So, uh, volume one is is the Game of Thrones. Volume two is uh, is it Storm of Swords? Is that the second one? No, it's Clash, Clash of Kings. I always get the second and third names mixed up. So, Clash of Kings. Uh, is is number two, which they just released actually, uh, and um, you'll be doing so. You'll be doing one of these chapters. You'll have a couple of those decisions. They usually give you three to four in a row to make. So there's that's very role playing heavy. And then there will be a point where you know that's where they say, well, we need to some send somebody out to find your daughter. Who's going to do it? And at that point, you sent out a sworn sword. Um, so I, you start the game basically with Sir Hugo Flint, who is a sworn sword. He's a knight. He has fighting ability. But once you uh, obtain more stags throughout the game or more money, you're able to hire other sworn swords who are either really good at trade or really good at intrigue or even better at, at fighting. And, of course, the sworn swords cost, you know, the better they are, the better slash more rare they are, the more they cost. And the more they cost, the longer you have to wait to fill your coffers with enough to afford them. So if I wanted a sworn sword right away that was really, really powerful and just kind of like plowed through everything, I could probably pay five or ten bucks and do that. I didn't because I didn't feel like it, um, but that's the kind of thing you can do. Uh, and the sworn swords, in addition to having you know fight, trade, or barter or, or, or intrigue abilities, there are three uh, different subcategories of each of them. So like for fight, you can either actually outright fight. Or you can aid is another fight skill where you're you're kind of spotting somebody in battle, and then there's harass. So you're not really fighting, but you're you're harassing somebody. It's like an intimidate check in D and D. 
uh, for trade, for example, you can either barter. Sometimes, you know, if there's like a crowd uprising, you can offer them furs or something. You know, like I will, you know, try and calm them by trading things. Or, uh, or you can uh, barter bribe. You can bribe guards. Uh, I actually bet on Braun winning uh, at the Eerie because your cousin at one point is in the Eerie with Tyrion when he and Braun are there uh, with Caitlyn. Um, so you can you. It's bet. almost like you knew the outcome. I know, right? <laughs> of course, I'm super cheap, and I, I bet on the one that I know is going to win. But there are times when I haven't done that. Like uh, I received news that there were whites at the wall, and I have chosen to ignore that because I'm very new ways focused, and I want to role play my character true to that. And I think it's fun to to realistically be like, this is how a guy in Westeros that I want to control would act. He's not going to believe it. And, uh, and of course just kind of like shrug it all off. Okay. So the, so the game is very obviously a, a big story. That is kind of the game. Yeah. So where does the free to play model come in? Sure. Okay. So again, I mentioned the sworn swords. Um, there are buildings that you build on your kind of estate. You know, there's a blacksmith, area you can build a godswood you can build a sept you can build a market you can build uh, a keep you know a barracks a, a couple other buildings like that so there, there's maybe 20 or so buildings um 25 maybe that you can build and each of those uh, of course they all cost stags i mean really the the main thing that you're buying is 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 money you accumulate money somewhat slowly and you have a, a somewhat low-ish uh, maximum amount uh, I've upgraded my treasury as much as I can for free, and I can hold up to 4,600 stags, and it fills completely after maybe seven hours, eight hours-ish. So um, to give you some perspective, uh, the most expensive that I've seen so far, Sworn Swords, are 24,000 stags. So that's maybe two days if you're diligent about refilling your coffer. So over a weekend, you can basically hang out, just keep refilling it, and, and be able to afford them. You're also all, always getting stags from these quests, and you're not paying anything for that. So I think it, it moved very quickly. I was actually able to play, the first day I played the game, I was just playing straight up, role-playing and not doing anything else for, for hours. I mean, almost all day, all afternoon, I would say, um, without having to spend any money or wait a lot. Only when I got to like level 15 or something, at least a couple days after I had started, did the pace really start to slow down and, and make you wait a little bit more. So I think they do a great job with that because it really lets you immerse yourself without having to – it doesn't shove it in your face, you know? It's not like, here, you've done the first two things. Now give us money. You know, it's it's very patient and very, I think, non-aggressive about its its pay model because it's giving you a really good quality, almost literary role-playing experience for free with no real reason to buy anything. Um, and that said, later on, again, uh, the things that you're doing with these buildings is uh, like, um, for example, your, your blacksmith area. So there are permanent upgrades you can put in each of your buildings. 
such as, for example, in the sept, you can have you can build an altar to the smith, an altar to the mother, an altar to the the stranger. Um, you know, in the godswood, you can build a couple different kind of altars. In the market, you can build like a, a trading stall. In the blacksmithery, you can build you know one thing. There's a there's a training ground where you can build an archery range. So you can build those permanent upgrades, which cost between five thousand and one thousand stags for the first level of them. Um, certain of them will stack, like uh, there's a tannery in my market, which allows me to produce fur more quickly when I update the tannery. Well, if I want to get the tannery up to its full potential, you know, the last level of upgrading the tannery will end up costing like 2,500 stags instead of 1,000. Um, so that slightly ramps up, but then that brings down your fur production time from 20 to say like 14 or 16. And you build units with a lot of these places, um, units, and I'll explain units in a second, you build units using the resources mostly from quests and from your market. So fur, steel, or uh, iron, wood, cloth, um, and things of that nature. Uh, when, you know, with those and combined with these buildings, you're able to produce different types of units. And these units um, can be either um, equipment that you have on or kind of, not familiars, but kind of companions for your characters to alter their stats. So your sworn sword, for example, gets, well, all your sworn swords get three equipment slots. They basically get some type of weapon, some type of armor, and uh, some type of, like, assistant, kind of. Um, for example, if I build a merchant, which costs me a certain amount of stags, if I build a merchant at the at the town square, then that merchant can be my one sworn sword's companion, and that gives them plus two to trade. Or I can create a, uh, a militiaman, which will give one of my sworn swords plus two to attack. And the same with weapons and armor. You know, I have a short bow, or a, a short crossbow, which adds to my intrigue, because a crossbow is a very, like, kind of long-range, backstabby kind of weapon. Uh, so that's what those do. Um, it's not It's not a difficult game really it doesn't seem like there's a lot of a lot of gameplay i mean are these are these opening new options then when you are is the whole point to open new options when you're in these different scenarios well there's there's kind of a meta game going on along with the game there's 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 a surprising amount of of depth and kind of a lack of depth that you're talking about at the same time um overall all of your stats and sworn swords and building upgrades and money and decisions you've made are aggregated into a stat called power. Now, my power right now is 2,425, but you get power by building things and by upgrading things and, and all that stuff. The, right. the power is what is shown on the Facebook leaderboards. So I know that I'm number three or number four in my list of friends in terms of power. That's kind of where the inner player aspect comes in. Um, so if you're... Does that give you anything else other than a metric with which to to measure yourself with other people? Not that I'm aware of off the top of my head. Okay. But there, so... there could be. Okay. But that's kind of like the score measurement, I guess you could say. Yeah, but if you don't care about that, you just want to experience the content, if... If the only thing you're doing when you're buying stuff is increasing your power number, it seems like if you don't care about that, you'd never have to spend any money, which sounds great to me. Yeah, I mean, you, you never you never have to spend any money. 
I, I can pretty much tell you that. I mean, uh, it's you don't. And I think that's nice. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's the the best business model, but I, I honestly, I love the game so much. I'm I'm still very seriously considering actually purchasing some in-game money, not because I want it that badly or because I'm impatient, because I want to give money to this. It's like, take my money. Um, I love this game. I, I It's worth it. Like, I, I have played a game now that I've enjoyed thoroughly. I love playing all my friends. I may shell 10 bucks their way. And now, there's no... When you say play with play with your friends, there's no interaction, though. There is interaction. And this is the other really fun part. Um, within the first day I was playing, two of my friends and I were writing on each other's Facebook walls nonstop about stuff. Um, because once you reach level four, which takes all of about ten minutes, you can uh, you can betroth your son or daughter to another player's son or daughter. So my daughter is betrothed, I think, to our friend Will's son. Uh, and you can also enter a marriage pact. So uh, one of my friends in Chicago, Meredith, uh, I made her make a character because she loves Game of Thrones. And she's like, I love this game. And, and I sent her the marriage request. And she totally freaked out because she thought it was just so outrageous. So we got married and in-game that increases your power, actually. So it encourages this, this interplayer interaction. Um, and then I tried to send her some dream wine. I tried to offer her a cup of dream wine because you can send a marriage favor. Uh, I tried to send her a cup of dream wine, and she rejected it and demanded a rasher of bacon. So I get this thing in-game, and she's taking screenshots and posting it to her Facebook wall, and she's like, I only want bacon from my husband, and, like, tags me in it, and my friends start commenting on it, and it, it's just – it's really fun. Uh, and beyond that, you also get – quests that you can do uh, they recharge every five minutes after you finish one so you can do them pretty much all the time these optional side quests that involve the other players and one of them uh, one of my other friends did a quest involving my friend that i'm marrying to in the game and he posted a screenshot his quest was she came to him her character came to his character and said uh, I'm very worried, sir. I, I've had an affair with my husband, and I need to cover it up, and now the guy is demanding money. And so we post this on my Facebook wall. So, of course, then she he's like, your wife's a harlot. And so it, it's just like mixing this in-game, out-of-game, you know, role-playing. It, it's just like any role-playing experience, any good tabletop role-playing experience where your characters and your human relationships kind of get a little intermixed like all in a really good fun way. Yeah, that's that sounds kind of neat. Uh it sounds like you uh you need a group of people that are very into Game of Thrones to make that work, right? I mean, that's Yeah, I think that's that's part of the charm of it because uh, you know, neither of us probably have a million friends that are really into Game of Thrones. But knowing that, even you know, I've got like six or seven friends playing right now that I that I regularly interact with. Um but that's enough. That's more than enough. Because they are – because we're all so into it that it's just like being able to share the experience with anybody is really cool. Uh, you know, and you don't need like a huge – I don't. I, you know, it's not like you need like 50 people to do it. You know, you've got a few and it, it'll be close-knit. And it's not like we're writing on each other's walls all the time or anything now. But it's still fun to play and we still talk about it and – and it's interesting to talk about like what the different decisions kind of how the, where they get you during the game. So um, it's pretty in depth. 
if you are a fan of Game of Thrones, well, you, you pretty much have to be if you're still listening by now. Uh, but since you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you will like this game. I mean, if if you if you read the books, I know you'll like it. If you watched the show only, you may still like it. Um, probably. It may be, yeah, I, I would say you would still like it because it takes place in that world. Um, but yeah, you know, the gameplay is pretty simple. You do not have to pay a dime to play it. Um, and I don't think that detracts anything from the game. Uh, there are probably perks to building all these upgrades and having better equipment that I, that I don't know all of. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on the game and I got really into it for a couple days. And since then I've been playing a little more casually, but very consistently. I mean, I'm on every day, uh, every day. Um, so, you know, I, I could be missing some stuff. Now, I do want to warn you that the game is in beta and the servers have crashed several times. Probably from overload, I would imagine then. I would imagine, yeah, from overload, which should say something it should speak to the quality of the game, certainly. I mean, I you know, I joined a few days after it came out, and, you know, you load the app, and it says 50,000-plus users, and then uh, a day later it said 100,000-plus users. I, I mean, I, I think it's spread like wildfire <laughs> among Game of Thrones fans. Um, but it, it has has gotten very popular very quickly. I actually kind of wanted to get your input on what you think of open betas because, uh, you know, the, their servers were they were fine actually for a couple weeks and then suddenly they just they crashed and they were down for a few hours. Okay, came up the next day they crashed. They crashed every day for a couple hours for like a week. Then they closed down the game for like six hours to do a total, uh, you know, re whatever relaunch or migration or something um they've had some glitches they've had some hiccups and they always post about it and they're i always see it on my news feed and they always get a lot of comments and a couple people are commenting and they're very very angry very very uppity about it and they think that they should reimburse the players for that downtime mm, here's it's the idea of this being an open beta to me is kind of weird in the fact that they are still willing to take your money for in-game currency and things. Yeah. If this to, to me, if this were going to be like a real beta, they would allow you maybe a gold purchase a day or something. Uh, so because the the idea of a beta would be what is happening when people are using these services that we're offering. Uh I don't know. Like there's something shady to me about charging people about allowing people to pay money for the beta, I guess. Yeah. I mean, at the other hand, if it's a full true beta and they're really testing everything, that's part of the testing, right? Is the, the money they're making. Yeah. But I guess they need to be, they need to make sure to be transparent then as to will anything carry over after this beta is done because if not, a lot of people will have been putting money, maybe not a lot of people, but some people will have been putting in money to build up these characters that'll just be wiped once this bait is done. Right. So they need to make sure they, and if they haven't said anything about that, they need to make sure to. Uh, and they may uh, have. I'm assuming they have. Yeah, I, I haven't looked into it, so they, they may have. Because, like I said, I haven't had to buy anything. But yeah, uh, otherwise, I, otherwise, I have no problem with open betas. I mean, they need to be done. They need, like, these, these companies need them to. Hell, even when companies have open betas, 
they still screw things up, like with SimCity and with Diablo 3. Like, there's just... You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it, it does... So just imagine what those particular launches would be like without these open betas. I mean, they'd be even worse. Yeah. I, I guess I just saw a comment that struck me, you know, when the guy was like, they should be paying us because we're just doing free testing for them. No, they don't owe you anything. I, no, and I'm like, you, really? You're Yes, yes, you're testing it for them, a.k.a. you're playing a game for free. Game designers and companies don't owe you anything until you invest in something and then they screw it up. Yeah, like SimCity. Yeah, now... <laughs> I mean, the fact that you're playing this game for free, you'll never really have a foot to stand on if you're trying to make that argument. Yeah. Now, if you've bought a game and you cannot play that game, that is a much different circumstance. Yeah. And in that particular case, I do think the company should be held accountable for those problems. But in this particular circumstance, the, like you should know what you're getting yourself into, it being a beta anyway. Yeah. It's a beta. It's just that. Yeah. Well... Uh, if you're a role-playing game fan and you like Game of Thrones, I would I would definitely say check it out. I, I just think it's well-written uh, and it's enjoyable to play. And if you have friends, try to get them to play a little bit. It's really fun. And I don't know. It's 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 very simple. But yeah, like I said, the writing it just it ties into the series so seamlessly. It's just it's it's cool to me. Um, and I had this conversation with a couple people, and they're like, well, you can't really affect anything in that world. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, obviously there's some canon, but you can affect things within your own character's world. And I I don't know. I like that. I, I think there's just enough. It, it has activated my imagination, we'll just say. Yeah, I mean, if there's enough different stuff that happens in the game, I mean, I'm sure you haven't seen any repeats of anything. No, uh, no, yeah. Yeah, but if there's enough of that different stuff, then yeah, that seems kind of cool yeah yeah if your favorite part of mass effect was not the gameplay but the actual decision making you'll love which, this game yeah which is the best part of mass effect i think yeah yeah so again not a ton of depth and it can get a little repetitive and sometimes your actions don't largely influence a whole lot but i think by and large i mean i wouldn't keep playing it if it weren't enjoyable on some level um, and it's not Final Fantasy Airborne Brigade enjoyable where I'm just clicking play and it's showing me some stupid animation over and over again. It's I'm reading it. I, I don't I don't multitask when I play this game. I actually I actually can't have a conversation while playing it because I'm reading what's happening. And I think that's kind of what sets it apart a little bit. So that is uh, that was a very long detailed review of a Facebook game. Who knew? Um, but I did finish playing another, like, quote-unquote real video game that I'll just touch on quickly before we wrap up the episode. Sure. And that was Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. I'm glad you finally beat that. I can't believe it took this long to beat it. It took me over 55 hours. Which is crazy. That is a really long time for a Zelda game. Yeah, I I think maybe the clock ran while I had it paused or on the Wii menu or something a couple times. Because it doesn't seem right. Does it? Yeah, I mean, that does seem like an awfully long amount of time. And uh, our friend Blake, who did another podcast episode with us, uh, told me he did it in like 20 or 30 or something. But he also plays Zelda in his sleep, so there's that. I have heard that this game is much longer than that. Like, yeah. I, I don't think he's I don't think he is the metric by which you should measure <laughs> Zelda playing experience. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was editing our last episode where I talked about Skyward Sword and you asked me about the gameplay and how the gameplay is different and everything and I didn't really talk about it but you seemed really interested in it and and it's funny to me because it didn't even occur to me 
what you were asking about like because it because i was so used to it and it became so automatic while playing the game but they've replaced your you're running around and they've they've added this stamina bar basically and you can sprint using the stamina bar uh and you can sprint for a certain amount of time and then once that stamina bar runs out then link is exhausted and you can't swing your sword or use items or anything for like five seconds or three seconds or something um or you just have to stop running you know before it runs out and then it'll refill itself and this 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 is used throughout the entire game when you're running up hills and sprinting places and um it replaces the need to constantly roll forward over and over again like i'm sure you got used to doing in wind waker yep um i i like it by and large i, I think overall the stamina meter is a little short personally um i mean it fits in perfectly with the gameplay and everything but I don't like the the shortness of the bursts. It reminds me a lot of Secret of Mana with the 100% beep, in a way. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, yeah, you could only attack and then you had to wait a second or so. Right. Uh, there was a... I mean, not a lot of waiting. Overall, the game's flow was very, very smooth. But, the, you know, there were some times where you'd have to sprint from one rock to another because of quicksand, then from one rock to another, then from one rock to another. And you'd get pat Every time you got to a rock, you had to wait for your stamina bar to refill. Which even if it's just a hundred percent beep in this game in this day and age of gaming it's it's a couple seconds is kind of like why am I standing here you know um, so I, I mean I would give it a nine out of ten in terms of gameplay but that that was different um, and I talked about the one to one sword swinging that continued and was still awesome and still made me feel like a badass right uh, yeah I would say overall uh, that. I I really did love this game. I got That's great. I got to a certain point maybe 40 hours or so in where I was I was ready to be done with it and but I don't know if that's because I was tired of playing it. I think that may have been just because I was thinking to myself, "Okay, I'd like to play another game like soon or I have other games I I'd, I'd like to get to or anything." But there were two or three, I think it for sure two distinct points in the game where I thought the story was about to move along, and they threw in something that pissed me off. Uh, and it would be like, okay, great, you've gathered all of these things that you need to go to the next area. Oh, but I'm sorry, your sword isn't strong enough. You need to go upgrade it. And to do that, you have to find a map up in the sky, and then once you get that map... You have to return to the three realms that you just visited to get three more items. There's there's backtracking? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. That's not a I mean that's not a staple of Zelda games, right? No. I was I was quite disappointed with the amount of backtracking. Um there are three main areas. Well there's the sky where you're flying around and stuff, and there are three areas on the, the surface or the uh pulse if you want to call it that uh there are three areas in the surface there's a forest area a desert area and a mountain area right uh well you go to each of them do the temples in each of them fantastic then you go and you have to return to each of them for something okay then you go to the the forbidden realm where the bad guys are or whatever and you activate things and all right there's where the big bad's gonna be great okay did something and then I thought I was going to face the end boss of the game, and they said, oh, well, first you have to learn a song. 
on your on your harp because you have a harp, all right? Okay. The harp I don't love. I think they did a better, a much better job with Wind Waker and with Ocarina of Time incorporating music. The harp is fine. You you literally hold A and then swing it back and forth left and right. It's kind of cool because you do it in a certain tempo that it gives you on the screen. It's kind of cool, but every song you just swing left to right. There is no diversity at all. It's not like you're pressing different buttons, pointing your Wii remote in different directions. It's just you just follow the screen and move it left and right. Didn't hmm. I didn't like that music aspect. It's I mean it's such a minor, totally pointless like whatever. That's so nitpicky. Right. So don't let that affect any opinion of yours on the game. But I I did want to mention it. But um. But, yeah, they get to this part, they're like, you have to learn a song. Great, okay. I found this big guy in the sky where, uh, you know, I he would teach me this song. Get to him, he's like, oh, you know, I only know one part of the song. You have to learn the other three parts by going and visiting the dragons that inhabit these three realms. And then I'm back in the three realms a third time. Wow. Yeah. Now, to be fair, like, the second time you visit the desert area, it opens up a big new part of the desert area. And the third time you visit the mountain area it opens up a new part of the mountain area and uh there's even the forest even gets flooded at one point and you swim around the forest instead of running around it so there's there's variety but it doesn't it doesn't feel as i don't want to say big but it, it bothered me it bothered me um and and those th those two three-part fetch quests took over 20 hours i mean it, wow. it just i mean it just it it extended the game substantially and i loved the game the gameplay was exceptional um the music is absolutely some of the best in any zelda game ever um i even dug the storyline quite a bit you know it's it's a zelda storyline so it's not super complicated but whatever I, you know i dug the storyline the final boss battles are, are are totally epic. So many good things about this game. And I'm shocked to say this, but I, I wish it had been a little shorter. I just I just feel like they didn't need that last beat at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean the same thing you can say the same thing for movies too. There's there are definitely movies out there where you're like, man, the movie was good, but I wish it was half an hour to 45 minutes shorter you know yeah yeah and it's not because it was bad like no part of this game really was bad but i will warn people don't be in a hurry to finish it because you'll you'll you won't be able to you'll uh you'll get to a certain point and you'll feel like because there's also there's also a certain build you know like i have every item in the game I have my sword upgraded to the fullest. I've got all the heart containers but two. I'm, like, ready to face the final boss. And that's when they threw in the last triple fetch quest where suddenly I'm going around every area. Where I had everything. I was mentally, as a player, ready for the end of the game. You know? Yeah. Like, I'm there. Great. I've got all the items. There's nothing left to do. Oh, but suddenly get these three arbitrary things before you face the final boss. That really ground on me a little bit. I, I'd still give the game a ten. I mean, other than a little bit of pacing, if I had been in less of a hurry to beat the game, I think maybe uh, I would have liked it even better. But I'd still give it a ten. I mean, it's it's just. And, and for me, that's a for me, I I would think that's a much more significant uh, error uh, 
Yeah, I, I, for, for me, because like I just I don't have the most time ever. And you pad a game with 15 extra hours of gameplay that I I don't want. And that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of the player. Yeah. Of your game, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, you're right. I would probably actually give it closer to a 9.5. But yeah, it's just like I said, that's I mean, and I've played the game, so I don't know what this gameplay is like, but um I can't imagine that fighting the same enemies then, I mean, are you fighting the same enemies then for that extra padding of time? There's not really a, I would say that I was a little disappointed with the lack of variety in enemies. I don't think Zelda games are, are necessarily known for a, a billion different kinds of enemies, but there were a couple that I faced for, like, how many bats can you kill? Really? I, I have killed so many bats tonight. There are like 50 bats every dungeon. I'm like, I don't need to kill another bat. Okay, I get it. You like flick your wrist in a direction, and they're dead. Is yeah. I thought it was a little bit repetitive, and some of the creatures just fucking pissed me off because they're annoying. Like there are these slimes, and if you don't kill it, well, first of all, they usually materialize out of nowhere, and then they jump on you, and the only way to like shake them off is by waving your Wii remote and nunchuck. So I'm, like, trying to run through an area where I've been 30 times, and, you know, every five fucking seconds I've got to wave my shit around until they, like, get off me, and I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> there are a couple really annoying enemies. Um, but like I said, like, the epic battles, like, when you're fighting Stalfos, or even, like, there were, like, some swarms of monsters you have to fight at the end of the game that's really fun. And, like, the last couple battles are super awesome. Um... So I think the the good far out is the bad. Again, I'm really nitpicking here uh, on some stuff, but but I would say overall it was a little long, um, but it it's still worth playing. Just maybe not in one weekend. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Fifty fifty hours is a lot to commit to for one weekend. There's not a lot of time <laughs> for sleep in a weekend if you have committed fifty hours to video gaming. It's true. It's true. Um, and I still think. <laughs> The hard thing for me now is going to be going back to other Zelda games and playing them and not being able to sprint. The other thing I was going to say is uh, weapon selection is seamless. You can be running in a certain direction and select a new item while you're running because of the way the item select is, is running up. That's kind of cool. It's very cool. It's 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 some of the coolest so, user So interface. less time in menus? I mean, Zelda needed to evolve. Oh, like man, the... yeah. Like it had become, it had definitely become dated in terms of how the user interface worked. Yeah. So it sounds like it has then. Yes. It's evolved quite a bit. Absolutely evolved. Yeah. I mean, in the use, yeah, it, it's it's totally seamless. You just you select on the fly. I would run from one corner of a room to the other and switch to the hook shot. You know, shoot it up. By the time I've landed on the ground after dropping down, I'm pretty much got my bow and arrow selected. You know, it's just. Yeah, very, very, very uh, smooth with that. So they did a good job. I, but I think, and that's why I think it'll be hard to go back to other games, which is sad because my favorite game in the series, well, let's say post-Link to the Past, because I haven't played that in a decade probably. But beyond that one, my favorite game in the series is probably uh, Twilight Princess. I love Twilight Princess, but I don't know if I can go back to the lack of one-to-one -one sword motion and I don't know if I can go back to the old menu system. So now I have to go back and see how archaic that seems. Yeah, I think you might find yourself able to settle into that again. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
I mean, let's face it, how many times did we switch from the fire rod to the ice rod on Link to the Past? I see what you did there. Actually, I actually <laughs> right. don't understand what you're trying to say. I'm just saying it was it, that was tedious, selecting items. But we're used to it. Exactly. Because we're old. We are old. So, anyway. That was really nerdy, man. Game of Thrones and then Zelda. Yeah, that's pretty God. That's pretty bad. Yeah. It's, but then again, we are talking about video games uh, on a podcast <laughs> that we do for fun. So I think it doesn't really get much more nerdy than that. Wait, you're doing it for fun? Are we do? Oh wait, are you getting paid? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, actually. we don't have sponsors. But if you want to sponsor us, just uh, send us a message. You can find us at uh, videogamepodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, and you can follow me. I am at eatplaygame. And you on Twitter, and you can't follow me because. Uh, that's not true. You can follow him. He is at producer Cody. Oh wait, that's right. You can follow me. I'm at producer Cody. I just said that. Jinx, personal jinx. Buy me a coke. <laughs>